Every 68 seconds, someone in America is sexually assaulted. I am one of those people, and maybe you are too. If you're anything like me, you have burning questions, shame, guilt, and maybe fear weighing down on you at all hours of the day. Whether something terrible happened to you yesterday or 40 years ago, we all deal with the lasting effects of abuse and trauma of all kinds. To my fellow survivors, thank you for being here. Thank you for being courageous enough to just listen. To those who know a survivor, thank you for being willing to learn. To my listeners who aren't either of those things, thank you for supporting us by listening and learning. Every podcast episode I record has the possibility of being difficult for some of my listeners to hear, so be easy on yourself. Pick a time and place that suits you best, and don't be afraid to pause something and come back later when you found the courage to do so. I love you all, and I'm so glad that you're here with me today. Let's dive in. What's up, you guys? Welcome to Every 68 Seconds. I'm your host, Courtney, and this week um, we're talking about your brain on trauma, or basically just the effects of trauma on your brain. Um, Last week we talked about the myth of the perfect victim and we went through all of the different myths that are believed in society and many of them were believed by me before my own abuse and kind of the ways that victims of sexual assault specifically are pretty much expected to respond um, to their sexual assault or just kind of qualifications for them actually being victims of sexual assault. So if you haven't listened to that one, I definitely encourage you to go back and listen to that. Um, It's very eye-opening for people that actually don't have experience with sexual assault. I heard back from a few people who aren't necessarily survivors, but they're just listening to learn and to support me and stuff. And they, they kind of shared with me that a lot of the things I shared on the podcast, um, they just didn't really realize before or they had been beliefs for themselves in the past. So yeah, I definitely encourage you guys to go back and listen to that one. And then obviously I would definitely encourage you to go back to the first episode um, because that kind of is the best way I feel for people to get started with this podcast and know what they're getting themselves into and kind of be ready for all these topics. So anyways, um, like I said, we're talking about your brain on trauma or your brain after trauma. Um, And I messed up a little bit on my Instagram poll. If you follow me, you might have seen my poll asking what you guys would rather hear about between two different options. And the one that I had put that actually won was how abuse affects the brain. But I think abuse and trauma affecting the brain, like those are very different topics. And so today I want to talk about how trauma affects the brain. And then I decided next week will be like more about the abuse side and I'll share more about what you'll hear um, at the end of this episode. So anyways, let's get into it. I want to start with a little story and it's not the most flattering of me, but I think it really shows like what I'm going to be sharing about um, later in the podcast. So several months after I experienced my abuse and sexual assault, Um, I don't remember when it was, but I just know it was afterwards and it was like several months later. I went out um, on the town with my 
boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, and his friends, and then my roommate was also there. And let me tell you, before my trauma, like, Courtney did not have anger issues. Like, I definitely didn't have any issues with, like, drinking or anything like that. But the Courtney after trauma soon figured out that both of these things, like, they were going to be part of my journey um, and definitely kind of had effects because of like the PTSD that I was experiencing. And I didn't realize the extent of it really until um, this experience. So after we'd gone out, you know, did some bar hopping, had several drinks, we were walking the streets of Annapolis and someone like one of Daniel's friends, I think said something to me that was like kind of critical, but it wasn't meant to be serious. Like, I think it was more of a joke. Um, and the typical Courtney would have laughed, just laughed it off, you know, um, and understood that it wasn't meant to be taken seriously, but for whatever reason, I blew up on them. Um, I became very like aggressive and, I'm pretty sure I cussed them out. I don't remember like what they said to me, what I said to them. I just remember them being very hurt. Daniel, my um, husband, he was there. And I remember him being very like upset with me for reacting that way, obviously. And then I remember myself feeling very confused because that just was not the typical Courtney. And that was like, very weird. So my response was obviously very unsolicited and I don't know, it was just so weird. And I look back now and I'm like, ugh, like I hate that I did that obviously. And luckily I was able to apologize later when I realized what was going on. Um, but all that to say, like my, (laughs) kind of to add to that, my roommates in college, they gave drunk Courtney the name Becky. Basically like as soon as Courtney reached this, you know, certain threshold of intoxication, um, I became what they called Becky. And it wasn't like I was a mean person or anything back then. It was like, oh, she's really confident and no nonsense and really funny and like very outspoken. That's kind of how I became, um, at this like threshold of intoxication. Um, but all of a sudden there was this new meaning for my alter ego that was Becky and it wasn't positive anymore and I didn't like it anymore because of that Um, and it took me a really long time to like come to terms with how that happened and like try to get rid of this hypervigilant state that I was in and I still struggle with that kind of state of mind to this day but it was definitely much worse then and a huge part of my response was as I learned later and I actually like cried about it, realizing it and telling, um, my boyfriend at the time, it was like a trigger from the abuse I had experienced because my abuser was very critical of me in a lot of different ways. And I didn't realize like, Oh, that one little kind of jokingly critical comment to me, that was a total trigger for me, um, in this like trauma that I experienced because not just the sexual assault was trauma for me. It was also this abuse that I experienced over like eight months became part of my trauma. So just having that thing said to me became a trigger, um, unknowingly. And of course, like my response back was just very like aggressive because it was like, 
kind of being, I was basically like going back to those moments, you know, it was like in my mind, didn't realize it, but I basically went back to these moments with my abuser where he did criticize me and make me feel small and make me feel like a terrible person for whatever reason. And I mean, obviously you can see from this story, like how the effects of trauma just changed my brain. Like it was almost like my personality was different. And in this episode, I want to go over kind of how this happens, why it happens and what parts of the brain are affected to make this happen. So let's start with what happens and where, like in the brain. And I, just to preface all of this, like I got all of this information from a few different sources. So one of them is Boston Clinical Trials. Um, Another is Whole Wellness Therapy and the National Health Service. So I got this from like their websites and stuff. So First of all, trauma. So what even is trauma? (laughs) The simplified um, definition of trauma is trauma is something that occurs when someone is overwhelmed by something beyond their control. So they just don't have a choice. It's beyond their control. And it can be a lot of things like it could be a car crash. It could be experiencing war, um, like, you know, soldiers going to war, experiencing terrible things there that can be traumatic there's yeah a lot of different things that can be identified or defined as trauma and the response to trauma is like very normal as a human right it's just normal human response to very abnormal events things that we just would never expect to happen to us um and there's three very key differences between the brain of someone with ptsd or someone that's experienced trauma and someone without it. And obviously, like I want to use the the term PTSD lightly because there is a actual um, diagnosis of PTSD. There's also just post-traumatic stress like symptoms that somebody can have and maybe it isn't fully classified or diagnosed as PTSD. But for the sake of like keeping it simple, I'm probably gonna use PTSD um, a little bit in this episode to explain the effects of trauma on the brain, obviously, in people who've had trauma and then people who haven't experienced um, major trauma. So the first difference is that somebody who's experienced trauma or has PTSD, their brain becomes fear-driven. And that's obviously not typical for the typical brain that has not experienced trauma. And this is something that scientists and psychologists have um, studied and and actually seen like on brain scans where they're like wow the amygdala which is where the fear comes from in your brain is on fire like all the time and normally that would only happen you know when you're actually afraid of something so that's one key difference is that the the brain actually becomes fear-driven number two is that your filtering system that helps to distinguish between what's relevant right now and what you should be able to just dismiss becomes dysfunctional. So like it just becomes difficult to fully engage with ordinary situations because you're having trouble figuring out, okay, what's relevant for me to address right now and what isn't. Um, And then number three is that the self-sensing systems devoted to like the experience of yourself gets blunted. So like kind of the part of the brain that helps you to 
understand your sense of self, like your body, like the conscious consciousness, I guess you could say. Um, and that becomes blunted because it's basically like a defense response. So like during trauma, your body, um, is, is dampening that consciousness of your like personal experience. And that can also dampen so many other things like sexuality, excitement, um, connection with other people. And so I'll kind of go into all of that, but those are like the three main differences between a brain that's experienced trauma and a brain that has not. So obviously trauma changes the brain in several different areas, like physical areas of your brain. Um, and I'm actually, I, I think I shared in my first episode, I'm a psychology like student, I guess I graduated with a bachelor's in psychology and I love the brain. I love psychology. So I've actually learned about a lot of this in college. So it was cool to kind of learn again about all of this. And just, I love that I get to talk about this in this episode because it's something I'm very passionate about. It's like two things I'm passionate about in one, which is great. Um, so yeah, there's three areas in the brain that are affected um, during trauma and then obviously affected after trauma has passed. So the first is the amygdala, which I just um, mentioned. And the amygdala is the part of your brain where emotions and your instincts kind of are um, brought about. So like if you're feeling fear or happiness or anger or whatever, um, or any kind of instincts that you have, those come from your amygdala. Um, the other the second area of the brain that's affected is the hippocampus, which controls memory. And fun fact, the amygdala and the hippocampus are, are like directly connected. Um, and so your ability to create emotion or create memory, sorry, is actually very much um, related to your ability to experience emotion. So like, yeah, so there's there's so much that connects the two of emotions and memories that you pretty much can't really have like one without the other that that's pretty much how connected they are so the third thing or the third area that's affected in the brain is the prefrontal prefrontal cortex sorry um and that's obviously if you can't tell from the the name it's in the very like front of your brain and that's the part of the brain that takes forever to mature so a lot of people don't have a fully mature prefrontal cortex um, until they're like in their early 20s. <laughs> um, and that's like pretty much most people. And that's where you are able to regulate emotions and impulses. So that's where like the consciousness is, where you're able to make decisions and stuff like that. And that's why a 15 year old kid has pretty bad um, abilities to make decisions most of the time is because their prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed. Um, so yeah, and then all three of these parts work together in the brain to manage stress. So you can imagine how if all of these are affected with trauma, managing stress is going to be pretty much impossible. Um, so one thing that is really important in regards to like trauma and how it affects the brain is the term triggers. And I know the word triggers or trigger or whatever can be like kind of uh, overused these days, I guess I could say. And I used to kind of hate the word. So I'd be like, oh my gosh, like 
people are people use it like oh I triggered you haha like with you know they they said something that made you upset or whatever but triggers in the regards to trauma is actually very like a very serious response like if I have a trigger that comes from whatever trauma I experienced it is debilitating like and I want to explain kind of like what happens so triggers happen when you're reminded of a traumatic experience and your amygdala which like I said before has you know emotional instinct um, your emotional and instinctual center it actually goes into overdrive and begins acting as though you're actually experiencing that trauma for the first time so you can imagine if somebody is triggered by something in their daily life or whatever um, triggers them and reminds them of their traumatic traumatic experience like imagine what somebody went through in that traumatic experience and then imagine how that would feel if they were just going about their normal day and all of a sudden they feel like they're experiencing that trauma for the first time like that's that is obviously very hard um and then your prefrontal cortex actually becomes suppressed so you're less able to control those emotions like fear and then that leaves you in a purely reactive state and so that kind of explains a little bit more about why i was so reactive in that story that i started with um because the controlling of your emotions becomes very (laughs) stunted um and then trauma also leads to reduced activity in the hippocampus one of those functions is to distinguish between past and present so this will cause the brain to be incapable of discerning whether a triggered memory is a memory or a current threat so that's kind of why when somebody is in that triggered state they literally feel like they are in that moment again and like I said before in my um, story like I felt like I was in that moment again with my abuser him criticizing me when somebody just said a random like funny critique of me you know Um, and so all of those three things three areas of the brain come into play when we are experiencing trauma or sorry experiencing triggers as um, people who've experienced trauma so in summary, basically, um, trauma can cause your brain to remain in this state of hypervigilance, suppressing your memory and impulse control and trapping you in a constant state of strong emotional reactivity. So I want to go even deeper into like how this happens. Um, so there's three parts of the brain or like, I guess, groupings of the brain. And um, one of them, I'm not going to really like touch on because it's not as much in um in play with all of this and it's the system of the brain that just kind of keeps you alive like the brain stem keeps your heart pumping keeps your oxygen flowing and things like that but there's two others which are the neocortex so that's where like your prefrontal cortex and stuff are and then your limbic system and so the neocortex like I said before, that's the side of the logic, planning, imagination, and control. And it's slower than the limbic system and the other system because it's that's conscious. Like those are things that you have to consciously do. Whereas the limbic system and the other system are instinctive and they just happen. They like you're like they're just automatically happening. Um, and normally your brain is able to use the neocortex, the, you know, the, the place of control and planning and decision-making before it allows responses to come from the limbic system. But once you go through, 
like trauma, the neocortex, the prefrontal cortex, whatever you want to call it, basically stops working. At least it, it, it doesn't work as well as it's supposed to in the limbic system, which is the place of fear and also pleasure and all these things actually um, takes over. And so the, the, the primitive parts of the brain, like the instinctive parts of the brain, overtakes the conscious part during events where survival is involved. So like if you're experiencing something traumatic, your body is going into the survival mode. And that is because the amygdala senses danger. It senses that you're in danger, your body's in danger. Um, and it sets off this alarm that goes through your whole body. And there are three survival responses, which you might've heard, heard of before, fight, flight, and freeze. And for a long time, people thought there was only fight and flight, but especially with like sexual assault situations, freeze tends to be a very common and normal response. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But when the alarm goes off in your amygdala, your body senses danger, blood and oxygen are diverted to muscles because in a, you know, typical state of like fear and danger, you would be wanting to like run away or... Um, you're, you know, you're in that survival mode. So think of like a long time ago when maybe like an animal is chasing you when you're a caveman, like, you know, you need, you need blood and oxygen to go to your muscles. Um, you need adrenaline because it's helping you get, you know, get those blood, get the blood pumping, get the oxygen going. Um, so adrenaline floods through the body and then all the systems that are not crucial to survival of the body are switched off. So this explains why during this traumatic experience, the hippocampus is actually turned off and it kind of stunts the ability of your brain to file memories. So that's why a lot of people have trouble remembering very like important parts of their trauma because their hippocampus literally turned off. Because I mean, if you're running from a bear in the woods, like you don't need that part of the brain to be working you just need to get away and survive and you know come out alive kind of thing so um because of evolution and all those things your hippocampus or because of creation i guess your hippocampus turns off and um yeah your memories kind of just stop (laughs) um being filed and the hippocampus actually switches to pumping a hormone called cortisol and this is the stress hormone you might have heard of it before because a lot of people talk about it these days in regards to the fact that um, so many people die of like heart attacks coronary heart disease things like that and a lot of that is linked to high cortisol levels and that is because of a lot of stress that all of us um, experience these days we are so stressed as a country in general um, but the useful part of cortisol is that it stops the body from feeling pain there's a lot of different things it does but that's one of the things that it does and that's so that we can focus on survival. So um, it's a safety mechanism, which is very fast and very extinctive. And it's kind of like our body's clever way of protecting us. So when this survival you know, um, mechanism of our brain takes over for the conscious brain, it can lead to things like PTSD. Um, and so... PTSD, for those who don't really know what it is, it stands for post-traumatic stress disorder. 
And it's something that does technically have to be diagnosed for somebody to be like, I have PTSD. But I was able to, from just reading about it or obviously learning about it in college, kind of diagnose it in myself because I noticed all these things happening to me after my trauma. So there's four categories of symptoms that you can experience or kind of technically have to experience to be diagnosed with PTSD. Um, And the first is intrusive thoughts. So unwanted memories just literally in your brain without you wanting them there and kind of berating you, honestly, like things, things that happen to you things that you didn't even realize you remembered just popping up in your brain during the worst of times, like the worst situations. Um, yeah. And then the second is mood alteration. So shame, blame, uh, persistent negativity. Um, you know, the, the fact that you might have mood swings. Um, like I feel like I had definite, definite mood alterations, with my PTSD. Um, and you can kind of see that from my story that I told in the beginning. And then number three, hypervigilance. So an exaggerated startle response. So like things that normally wouldn't scare you and like make you feel startled, they do. And I definitely experienced that as well. And then lastly is avoidance. So with PTSD, you'll normally avoid pretty much anything like anything sensory or emotional, emotionally like trauma related. So I remember not wanting to go back to work because that's where I knew my um, abuser from. And I still went, but I really didn't want to. And when I went, it was like there were triggers everywhere. And that was something that I avoided. I avoided a lot of other things like music that I listened to during the time that I was like being abused or being in that abusive relationship. Um, I avoided going to the gym that I would go meet him at to work out together just things like that and um yeah so those are kind of the four categories of symptoms but there's so much more to it and it can feel like you don't have control of your own body that's definitely how it felt for me like I would have these moments of anger and like lash out and I literally would feel like I didn't it wasn't even me I was like that was not me it doesn't feel like me that was never me before this happened um, it can come in unexpected rage or or unexpected crying. That definitely happened to me too. Um, shortness of breath for seemingly no reason, increased heart rate, shaking, memory loss, concentration challenges, nightmares, and emotional numbing. Definitely have had pretty much all of those um, since my my traumatic experience. And then complex PTSD is something that can happen when the alarm system just keeps going off repeatedly. Like it's pretty much constant. And that's pretty um, common with people that have been in like domestically abusive relationships. So like they're literally in a relationship with somebody who abuses them on a very constant basis. And then also with um, child sexual abuse, that's like like reoccurring. So... There are so many different ways that the body obviously responds to trauma and those are kind of all of the ways that um, the brain actually changes and why it changes and the parts of the brain that are affected during traumatic experiences. Um, And yeah, a lot of indicators of trauma, if you're ever somebody who has experienced trauma or maybe you just like know somebody 
who's experienced trauma or you know someone who's who's having these um symptoms and you don't know that they had trauma you can probably assume that they did um if they are having numbness uh like emotional numbness like i said before flashbacks they're feeling very stressed maybe they're like feeling really sick but not really really for any reason um having like experiences of depression maybe they're socially isolating themselves um responding to a lot of triggers and one very like important one that I think maybe we don't talk about enough is the inability to enjoy sex so this is super personal but I'm just going to share it anyways but I definitely had and still struggle with um this kind of numbing of like sexual pleasure and things like that and it took me a very long time to be able to do a lot of things regarding sex after my um, sexual abuse, which probably is obvious, <laughs> I think, to people. Like, I feel like that would be obvious that that would happen. But regardless, it's extremely difficult, especially when you're in like a committed monogamous relationship with somebody that things used to be normal and now they're not kind of thing. Um, and yeah, that's been very difficult. And maybe I'll do like an episode on that. I don't know. But it's going to be super personal, so sorry family members that listen to this. Um, But yeah, I just want to be real on here, obviously. So that's something that's very common um, as an experience, and I don't want to like overlook that, you know? And just kind of to add on to that, like symptoms of trauma and PTSD can change from day to day, and no one... like no one has to react a certain way there's so many different ways that we can react to trauma and every single one of those is normal and like typical and another kind of thing that tends to be associated with PTSD is the abuse of alcohol or drugs and I would say I don't think I necessarily experienced this myself but I definitely had moments where I would choose to drink alcohol to kind of numb like my triggers or numb my emotions um and that's super common as well and then dissociation obviously and I kind of have mentioned dissociation in the past couple podcast episodes but dissociation for those who don't haven't heard or don't know is kind of this experience of like the disconnection between the mind and the body um and that's very common obviously after trauma and that's any kind of trauma it doesn't have to be sexual assault or anything like that um self-harm can also be something that happens after trauma is experienced um one thing that i read about that i i was like kind of surprised was dental problems and the reason for that is kind of this like fear of going to the dentist maybe there was something involved with your oral situation like your mouth um but also like feeling like you're not in control in that situation because you can't move like you can't get up things like that and I think there can also be other issues like um with other medical problems as well but that's just the one I read about was dental problems um and then also traumatic bonding which I'm going to actually talk about next week and it's a very interesting topic very um what is the word I don't even know what the word would be but I guess it's surprising and for people who haven't experienced trauma um especially the kinds of trauma that can 
lead to traumatic bonding. It's like very hard to understand. But I would say I actually experienced a little bit of traumatic bonding with my abuser. And so I'm going to go through that next week, um, as well as like the just the effects of abuse on the brain. Um, and then also memory problems, which I already explained. Um, and then I also want to just share a little bit about vicarious or secondary trauma. And I want to share that because just because you haven't personally like experienced trauma doesn't mean you can't experience some like effects of trauma if you know somebody that's very close to you that's experienced trauma. Um, and I know like my own husband, like my uh, family members who know about what happened to me, I would say they probably have had this experience, like the vicarious or secondary trauma. Um, but it can also happen in other forms. Like if you witnessed like a car accident, a really bad one, and it didn't actually happen to you, but you witnessed it. Um, or, you know, there's a lot of other ways that you can experience secondary trauma, but I want to touch on that or just mention it at least because maybe you're listening and you haven't experienced trauma personally, but you know, somebody who has, or you've witnessed some kind of traumatic event and you've experienced some of these effects, but like, you're like, well, I didn't experience myself. So why is my brain acting this way? Why am I acting this way? And I just want you to know, it's definitely normal for somebody to have these experiences. Um, even if they are, were kind of these like secondary or vicarious situations of, of trauma. Um, yeah. So if you are experiencing symptoms related to trauma, just know like you are not alone. I, have gone through and still go through these effects of trauma to this day. Um, and there's so many ways to like find healing from this. And I've mentioned a couple of the ways that I've gone through my own healing process. Um, but I'm definitely going to go over some different ways to find healing, um, like different therapies and such in the future. But I did find a couple of just things you maybe want to like look up on your own for now. Um, and they are hypnosis and neuro-linguistic programming. Um, and there's other ones like these, but they basically are used to teach the mind to reframe and release the grip of trauma. And then there's also somatic experiencing, tension and trauma releasing exercises, as well as body-centric techniques that can help the body recalibrate to normalcy. So if you want to like go ahead and look those up on your own, you totally can. I'll probably end up sharing about them in the future, but it won't be next episode. So I want to just, you know, put those out there for anyone that's experiencing trauma. There's obviously always um, typical ways of therapy, like cognitive behavioral therapy and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I wanted to kind of just mention those. And like I said before, next week we'll talk about the effect of um, abuse on the brain. So I'm, you know, talking about the abused brain, um, how manipulation occurs, why people stay in abusive relationships, and trauma bonding. And for some people who haven't experienced trauma, they might not have heard some of some of these things. And then for people who have, you might not even realize, like, you might not know why you stayed in an abusive relationship you know, and I'll be kind of going over that. Um, and I'll be hopefully helping people understand how and why manipulation occurs. And that's something that I kind of struggled with for a long time, like just coming to terms with the fact that I 
felt like I allowed manipulation to happen to me. And I'll be going over that next week to hopefully just make you feel as though you're not stupid. And because that's some, that's how I felt. I felt really stupid after my abuse and um, everything because I was like, how did I not see this myself? Right. And so, yeah, I'll just be going over all of that next week. It'll probably be a longer episode. I kept this one under 40, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed. I really appreciate you listening and I'll see you next week. Hello, hello. It's me again. Uh, I wanted to just end this with a request from y'all. First of all, I would really appreciate some suggestions for future episode topics. I'd love to hear about what you would love to hear from me. And also, I'd really, really, really appreciate if you could share this on your social media accounts, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Um, Share this because I know there's people out there who are just like you that could really benefit from listening to this kind of podcast. Uh, Another thing I would really appreciate is if you guys could go on to Apple Podcasts and if you loved this episode and are excited to hear more from me, you could just put a review on there. Um, I would just really appreciate that because it would show Apple that, you know, I have a listening and people are interested in what I have to share. So yeah, thank you guys so much and I'll see you next week. Thank you.